0: Welcome to the Three Creeks Church podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you guys for leading us. My name is Joel, and I get to be the pastor here. We are trucking our way through the book of Ephesians, and we are in the beginning of chapter 6 today. And uh, I mean it when I say this every week that I, I get to be the pastor here. I truly do enjoy this very much. I feel very lucky, blessed to get to do this, and, and I don't want to take it for granted, I think about getting getting to be married to Morgan, and I I word it the same way. Like, I get to be married to you. I feel blessed to have gotten to, to have tricked you about nine and a half years ago into doing this. And now you can't get out because, you know, rings and stuff. And so you're in, and I just feel very blessed to get to be married to you. And uh, in early 2016, Morgan was pregnant with our daughter, Cooper, And we were asking all the questions, you know, like, what stroller? Which car seat? Formula? Like, what what, should we do baby-wise? Should we make him sleep? Should we let him get up? Whenever We're asking all the questions. Maybe the one that's the most important at that point is, is it Honda Odyssey or Toyota Sienna? And by the grace of God, he answered our prayers and showed us that the way to go is Honda Odyssey, in fact. And so we We jumped on that train. Lots of questions. And I can remember uh, hanging out with one of my heroes. He had raised a couple of boys that were just, they were friends of mine at the time. And I can remember saying, Ward, man, I'm about to be a dad. Can you please give me some advice? How did you do this? And he, I remember we were just walking along and he said, Joel, you know, marriage reveals selfishness level two. And then kids reveal selfishness level 10. And at the time, I obviously had no idea what he was talking about, because you just can't even really understand how much of your life you're about to lose when you have kids. And, but he was right, because when all of a sudden it's not about us, what has been true about us is revealed. And it's amazing how me-centered and selfish we can be until things begin to expose that as we get a little bit older. Last week I talked uh, about the end of Ephesians 5 and we talked about marriage and we imagined for a second what it would be like if rather than waking up and thinking to ourselves, how can I make this day great for me, what would it be like if we all woke up and asked the question, how can I make today great for them? And that just the difference that that would make if both people chose to wake up eager to serve rather than to be served. Uh, I had a chance. I mentioned him last week. uh, He was sitting down here. His name's Isaac, and he got engaged last Saturday, the day before. And I, I met him in the hallway afterwards, and I just shook his hand, and I gave him a hug. I said, are you ready for this? Are you ready for selfishness level two in you to be exposed? And he said, I'm up for it. And I don't, we'll see, you know, he's not there yet. So uh, he will find out. But kids reveal selfishness level 10. For those of you that have kids, uh, you know what I'm talking about. This is a picture of Cooper. She was born on July 1st, 2016. She loves to dance. She loves to sing. She loves to act and dress up. And she's in kindergarten at Royal Manor Elementary, this is a picture of uh, our baby that passed away during Morgan's pregnancy, and I can't wait to meet him or her in heaven one day. That will be amazing. This is our son Judah, June, June 18, 2018, June 13, 2018, sorry. And uh, and he just, he loves soccer. Judah, uh, when, so we had a miscarriage between Cooper and Judah, and then when when Morgan was pregnant with Judah, there were a lot of questions around the pregnancy. Doctors were uncertain. They were looking at pictures, trying to figure some things out. And we got pretty scared about halfway through and, and began to pray with a lot of our friends. And, uh, and then he was born, and he's back in Three Creek's Kids today. And his name means praise. Praise. And in full transparency, I had no idea that's what it meant. When we picked the name Judah, it's like, oh, that's a good one. You know, praise. That sounds good. Cooper, not so lucky. Her name means maker of barrels. So (laughs) we'll tell her that later in life. Uh, this uh, (laughs) This is Willow, born May the 6th, 2020 and her birth mom's name is Crystal, and she made the courageous decision to make an adoption plan for her daughter, Willow, and Morgan and I got to adopt her in 2020. And these three kids, they bring me more joy and cause me more frustration than anything in the world. They, uh, they are the focus of so many of my prayers. They, n- Nothing makes me... I'm really not an anxious person, but you get me at a playground with them, you know what I mean? And Willow's climbing on the rock wall, and I'm just like helicopter dad a little bit. Nothing derails our family, like when one of them gets the stomach bug, and I know it's going to get passed on. Our lives have completely changed. Morgan and I now have to ask permission, like, hey, can I, can I take a quick five-minute shower? Like, is that okay? So much of our life hinges on them the children God has blessed our family with. And as a pastor of a church that is this age, with so many of us having our, uh, getting married, having our first child, our second, like these little baby growing families, it's uh, so much of our joy comes from having kids. And yet, at the same time, so much of the things that we struggle with is because we had kids a lot of the busyness that we are just inundated with is because of our kids. A lot of the anxiety or the worry that we experience is because it's like it it got piled on top of what we already had. It's because of our kids. Our our lack of patience and the irritability that is kind of within us is brought to the surface because of our kids. Most, I would say, of the marriage things that we are struggling with, are because of our kids. One parent is upstairs pouring lavender oil into the air purifier, turning on the sound machine, getting a few books ready. And meanwhile, dad just turned on ESPN jock jams down in the living room, and the kids are like jumping off of the couch onto him. He's calling himself the blob. Like these these are the things that parents... Have you ever struggled with a parenting style disagreement? Or have you ever lacked some sleep, and perhaps that contributed to a marriage thing. Or have you had, you know, small children, and it's like, don't touch me right now. Anybody? Not me, but any women out there feel that way? Yeah. And I'm just saying that to highlight that a lot of times when I talk to people about things that they're going through in marriage, I can often trace it back to the, the way that their kids are, their parenting, and that has actually become a source that kind of like brought that other stuff to the surface. All of this to say that parenting is not for the faint of heart. And the word on the street is it doesn't get any easier. Dave, Ann, can you confirm this? It doesn't get any easier. We've got the first nine years, call it the front nine, where it's physically exhausting, where you're making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and tying their shoes all the time. And then the back nine from age 10 to 18, is emotionally exhausting. And we're going to need a lot of your help when we all get there. It's not for the faint of heart, but praise God for the Word of God that He preserved for us, that we can take a look at this, these just four verses today and try to do it God's way and do our best with no regrets. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn in them or turn them on to Ephesians chapter 6, four verses today. It's about children and raising them well. Uh, Always, always keep in mind when you read any, any verse in the Bible, the context of it, right? Let me remind you for the 10th time in this series that this is not a book of the Bible in a way that you might think of a book in a series of books. It's just a letter. It was a letter written by Paul, think about this, to his, one of his favorite churches in a city called Ephesus. Paul had been their pastor for three years, and now he's in jail writing a letter back to his old friends. And if you think about it, Paul probably was in the hospital holding some of these babies that he's now talking about. Paul probably officiated the weddings of the people that he's thinking, wow, now they're going through the throes of parenting. And he writes this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to try to help them parent God's way. And as always, friends, before we read this, I I anticipate trying to do something like this in every message in the second half of our series, that remember that Ephesians 1 and 2 and 3 happen, are written, before Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. And if you're here for the first time, you're thinking, well, duh. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, it makes sense. But but remember what is, what is in these two sections. In Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, it is the gospel story. It is the story about what God has done for us. And so, we can't switch this around and think, oh, maybe God will like us or approve of us or save us if we do everything that's in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. It's written in that order on purpose. Remember when Paul writes in Ephesians 2, we are not saved by good works, but rather for good works. We are, we are not, uh, if we go out of here attempting to be better moms, better dads, better leaders— So that God might love us or approve of us, we have it backwards. We don't do it so that God will love us or approve us, approve of us. We do it because He already does. And He's given us this gift of salvation through grace, through faith, despite the fact that we may or may not do everything in four, five, and six. One, two, three happens first. So here we go. Ephesians chapter six, one through four. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. A little bit louder for the kids in the back. Those of you in the gym. Children. <laughs> no, just kidding. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy the long, long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So I realize, obviously, in a room this size with this many people, there's a lot of people in here that have kids, some of you that do not have children, some of you have children and today you wish you could give them back based on how they were behaving this morning. Some of you guys are desperately trying not to have children, you're on multiple forms of birth control. Some of you didn't want to have kids and there's one on the way. I tried to tell you last week, a couple that prays together, these things happen some of us are, have grandchildren. Some of us don't really like children. Every one of us is a child. And the more I interact with people in their 20s and 30s and 40s, as we just make our way through life, it's pretty remarkable how much of how we think and how we're wired and how we respond to different things come from our relationship with our parents, and so that's a, that's a significant part of this. But no matter where you're at on this, I really hope that you can walk away today and be thankful that Paul wrote this in Ephesians. So I studied this passage. I did some cross-referencing, which simply means that I looked at some other passages in the Bible that help us understand parenting. And I've come up with five points that I'd like to share with you this morning. Four of them are pretty short. One of them's a little longer, but I'll tell you when I get there. So the first word Children, it seems apparent from the context that Paul is talking about pre-adult children living underneath the care of their mom or their dad, in a home, in a Christian family in Ephesus. And here's the first point. Children are a gift. Children are a gift. Psalm 127 says, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring, a reward from Him. They are a gift. Even on the day when they cannot find their shoes, but they can find that onion that you hid in the spaghetti sauce, you think, yes, they are a gift. When you have to instruct them not to lick their feet, you remind yourself, they're a gift. The ones that you're trying to escape from when you go to the bathroom and lock the door, they are a gift. A heritage from the Lord that the psalmist continues and says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Our children born in one's youth, blessed is the man whose quiver, blessed is the woman whose quiver is full of those arrows. Children are a gift. That's number one. Number two, they're on loan for a short time. They are hours for a limited time only. There are times when I've had a long day, a long week, and I look at the clock, we're already done with dinner, and it's 5.15, and I look at Morgan with droopy eyes and go, how are we going to make it to bedtime? You know, it's like an hour seems like a day. How will we make it through? And then yet there are other times, and I, and I know that you, if you have children, you can relate to this. I showed you this picture of Cooper. This is her a couple weeks ago, got her hair cut. And then this is her what seems like two weeks ago. By all accounts, it goes Fast. And we're supposed to enjoy it and be there. And before I know it, I'm going to be dropping her off at college if that's what she wants to do. It goes fast and they're on, they're on loan for a short time. I've got 18 summers with each of my kids. Cooper is one third of her way through her life in my home. She's already one third of the way through. She was born yesterday. 18 years-ish, and they're a gift from God that live in our houses. We're to see ourselves, if you're a parent, we're to see ourselves as guardians, as custodians rather than owners, because they're loaned to us as individuals made in the image of God with their own DNA and their own personality and their own temperament and their own need for a Savior and their own need for the gospel. And it's our job for this limited time only to point them to Jesus, they're on loan for a short time. Number three, they're born sinners. In other words, they are flawed from conception. From time to time, I see people having their babies, posting a picture on Instagram and describing their baby as perfect. And I think, biblically inaccurate. <laughs> because, because they're not, and I'm not trying to be mean, and I understand the sentiment behind it. They are perfect in many ways, but they're not perfect the the first black tar diaper is a sign of things to come they are not they do not end up sit excuse me they are, they do not become sinners when they start to sin they sin because they're born sinners david writes from iniquity i came forth from my mother's womb i i was conceived in sin you can trace it back all the way to adam and eve where we find that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, including little Oliver Benjamin or whatever his name is. We're all sinners, all falling short of the glory of God. And actually, this is, this is going to sound funny to you. I want that actually to be a comfort to us parents, because in some ways that kind of takes the pressure off a little bit. When your kid has a meltdown in Target, and all of the young single people are looking over at you like you're a bad parent, you can... Think to yourself, they're born that way. Like, this isn't all my fault. When they say, I'm hungry, you say there's fruit in the fridge, and they act like someone just shot them and start rolling around the floor, you can find comfort in the fact that they were bent to do this. They were born this way. When our children get a little bit older, I'm talking about mine specifically, when they make really poor decisions, when they're teenagers, It will be tempting to sit there and think, where did I go wrong? This is all my fault. I should have done it differently. But take some comfort in the fact that they were born this way. They were born this way. They're born sinners. My mom, every time I went out when I was in high school, my mom prayed, God, please help him not do something stupid. And if he does, help him get caught. And I can't tell you how many times that second half of that prayer was answered. I mean, every time, every time I got a speeding ticket, I'm like, mom, there she is again, praying, and her prayers are being answered right before my eyes. I'm just saying, as our kids reveal their sinful nature as they get older, we have to understand that that's part of the package That yes, at all times, we need to adjust and parent differently and can't apply the same parenting principles to every kid. And we've got to ask God for help through the process. But we have to understand that part of the package is that they were born this way, which leads us to the fourth point, which is the one that we'll be in for a little bit longer. And it's, it's really about these couple verses in Ephesians. The fourth point is they need instruction. They need instruction. Look at verses 1 and 4 again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is simple, but important for us to remember. The reason children need to be commanded to obey their parents is because naturally they will not. They are naturally bent to disobey We do not need to teach our children to disobey. Thursday night, 10 p.m., Morgan and I are sitting in bed. We hear some rustling upstairs. And I think to myself, finally, the Lord has answered our prayers. And Judah got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. We have arrived. We're there. We're going to start saving some money on pull-ups. But the rustling continues. And I think, I don't know if that's Judah. Morgan says, that's definitely not Judah. And so I run upstairs, Willow in a danced, dance costume, rainbow tutu, Judah's headlamp on, all the lights on in all the rooms upstairs. Cooper and Judah passed out. And she's just on an adventure. <laughs> and I just got to tell you, I didn't tell her to do that. And I didn't teach her to do that. She knows that you're not supposed to get out of bed. You're not allowed to get out of bed, Willow. No more books, no more lights. We'll crack the door a little bit, but you're not allowed to get out of bed. You need to obey. And I didn't teach her how to disobey, but she just did it. She did it again last night. We're in the process. We're figuring it out. I don't have to teach her to repeatedly disobey. She just does it. Our children will lie, every one of them, cheat, steal, and stuff things under their bed when you say clean their room. Every one of them, without you teaching them how to do that. And they need their parents to instruct them. Interestingly, here's an interesting cross-reference for you. Paul didn't just write Ephesians. He wrote, I think, 13 books in the New Testament. One of them he wrote as a letter to a friend, his friend, a protege named Timothy. It's the last letter he ever wrote. It's called 2 Timothy. You can look this up. When he wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy, you know where Timothy was? Pastoring the church at Ephesus after Paul had been in jail in another place. So he writes to Timothy As he's pastoring the church in Ephesus, and Paul, under the inspiration of God, describes what it will be like in the last days. Read this list of of really just a culture and a world that that none of us want to live in. Paul writes, but mark this, Timothy, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. There's going to be terrible times in the last day, Timothy. And look what's right in the middle of that. Disobedient to their parents. It's lumped in with all of these other terrible attributes of a crumbling society. Alistair Begg, who I've been just following along in this whole Ephesians series, commented on this passage by saying this, disobedient children are one of the ugly and alarming signs of a crumbling culture. I'm not here to promote any type of school, private school, public school, home school, any school. Every family gets to make their own choice with their kids, and, and if God tells you to do that, you do that. But I will say that as I'm looking around at our schools, I'm just, I have a growing concern. I don't think I'm alone. I have a sneaky suspicion that you might feel the same. I have a growing concern now that my kids are getting into schools and I'm seeing the way that kids are treating each other, I'm just going, what's going on here? I had, I had a chance to sit down with somebody that works at the high school recently. And I said, just tell me, how is it? What's it really like? He said, it's really bad. The language, you wouldn't believe it. What's going on on their phones? It's indescribable. There's a fight every single day. There are, there are parents gathering in Gehenna." getting together to discuss teen violence in our city. And as a parent, that concerns me. And, and, and really, if you look at it like that, you go, yeah, being disobedient to parents when the kids aren't listening to their mom and dad, when mom and dad aren't being intentional to raise their kids and teach them to obey, then society begins to crumble and fall apart. And it's because obedience doesn't come naturally. It's something that has to be taught. And as parents, this is really important. As parents, there are times, you know, when we're trying to teach our kids to obey. There are times when we're supposed to explain why. We're going to get asked that question between 25,000 and 30,000 times over the next couple years. Why? And there are times to stop and explain. There are other times where it is biblical. To simply say, because I said so. Because I'm your mom, and I said so. Because I'm your dad, and I said so. Because, here's why. When we help our kids understand that to obey without understanding everything, when we teach them that, without understanding why, we are preparing them for a lifelong journey with God, where sometimes we have to obey without understanding why. Yes, if they obey us, then chances are our lives are going to be better as parents, right? If they would just listen. And chances are they'll grow up and be a beneficial person to others if they learn that, you know, we're not trying to rob them of all joy, but we're really, really trying to raise them to be productive blessings to other people. Yes, yes, yes. But truly at the base of obedience is this idea that us as parents are the first ones They get to show our kids that it is good to obey without always knowing what or why. We're we're helping them build a muscle because their lifelong journey. We get 18 years of obey because I'm your mom and dad, but they've got a whole life of following God where at times they're going to have to choose to obey God despite the fact that they don't understand why. So we are really pointing them to Jesus. We're pointing them to God and the way that he wants us to live our lives if we help our children obey. Obedience doesn't come naturally. We have to instruct them, which does beg the follow-up question. Is there anything specific that we're supposed to instruct them in? And the answer is in verse 4. First, it says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. And I'll talk about that in just a second. But he says to fathers, and you can include mothers, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Which means... That as parents, we don't pawn our kids off to the Sunday school teacher or the Christian school or the youth pastor. We we accept the fact that it is our duty as parents. Our kids are going to be at church 1% of their life. They're going to be at youth group or church 1% of their whole life. And for us to kind of pawn that off and say, I hope that the church helps. I'm not going to really do anything at home. As parents, we're supposed to be this, the primary spiritual leaders or disciples of our kids. And I know that there's a lot of questions about that. I, I, one of my favorite conversations I've had in the last year in our church was somebody who said, I get insecure talking to my kids about Bible things and God because they know more than I do. And I said, perfect, you can, you can just journey together then. They were saying that, you know, my kids ask me questions and I don't know the answer. I said, well, what do you do? She says, I find the answers. (gasps) Perfect. Because if, wait, wait, wait. I just said, if we are under the impression that to be a good parent, we have to be perfect, then we are all in trouble. The goal of parenting, especially in when it relates to training our kids in the Lord, is not to be perfect, not to model perfection, but rather to model pursuit We will never model perfection, but we can always model pursuit. I'll find out the answer for you. So even if you feel like you're behind or haven't been following the Lord long enough, perfect. You get to model the pursuit of God. I am excited to share this with you that uh, recently we had a discussion on our elder day away about what what are we going to do for a Three Creeks youth group? because they're all getting older, all, a lot. There's a ton of them back there. And we've taken a couple stabs at it, and it just hasn't worked quite yet. But we're beginning to brace for that. We're beginning to get excited about hiring a youth pastor. And I don't know when that will be, or when will we, we will be able to afford that. But I want you to know that it is a dream of ours that we would have a thriving youth group that could change the spiritual landscape of the youth in our city. That, that is what we really want to happen. But it's also worth saying before we start doing that, It's also worth saying that we could hire the LeBron James of youth pastors and give him $500,000 a year, and it will not, 500 bucks a year, Little Caesars only. We could give him $500,000 a year, best youth pastor in the world. It won't even come close to compensating for a lack of godly parenting in our homes it won't come close. We could hire a Christian blippy to run Three Creeks Kids. It won't even, you won't even, it will make no impact without godly parenting in our homes. We cannot, before we get the youth group, let me just, I gotta just we got we to set the stage before we get there. We cannot view our youth group as a holding cell with pizza. Let's just keep them busy so they're not doing other stuff. We can't do that. We've got to have the parents sing and lead vocals, and then the youth group singing backup vocals and making the gospel beautiful and training and instructing our kids up in the Lord. It's our duty as parents to train them in valuing the church of God, spending time in the Word of God, giving generously to the work of God, and striving joyfully to live out the commands of God. Here's a note to parents. Paul singles out fathers, perhaps because they're more inclined to do this, but it certainly applies to both moms and dads. He says, do not exasperate your children. There was a time where one time I was doing this, and Morgan said, Joel, you are exasperating Judah. And I was like, hey. I said, what does that word mean again? Like, so I had to look it up. And, uh, What it means is, it means don't intentionally push their buttons, provoking them to anger. Here are some things that perhaps I've done or I've witnessed done that would certainly result in children feeling exasperated. Don't show favoritism to one child over another. That would be exasperating. Don't scold a child using loud and demeaning words. The tone of our words The tone of our words sets the tone of your relationship. Don't be extremely inconsistent in discipline. That is exasperating for a child. And I'm not acting like we're all going to be perfect. We're all going to miss the mark. But to fly off the handle and to make up rules as you go is exasperating. If you don't eat that chicken nugget, you're never eating chicken nuggets again. It's exasperating. If you never say sorry to your children. I know adult people who have never heard their dad or their mom say sorry. And that exasperates me right now. I can't believe it. Say sorry to your kids. Pushing for achievement beyond reason is exasperating. Of course, there's part of parenting where you want to push them and help them experience new things and challenge your kids. Of course, that's part of parenting. But to push them so much that they might begin to attribute their value or your love for them only based on how well they're doing at this or that, man, I mean, that is exasperating. I need, I'm, I'm just wired naturally to want to just push my kids. I just want to, I want to experience life and go get it and don't be afraid and be brave and go. But at times I feel like my kids think I'm disappointed in them if they're not brave. I have to be really careful with this. I, I get the joy of getting to drive Cooper to school almost every day. And I've got four or five minutes with her. School is right around the corner. And oftentimes I'll say, Coops, you know I love you, right? I'll look in the mirror a little bit. Coops, you know I love you, right? She says, yeah, of course I know you love me, Dad. And I said, I said but I don't love you because you're beautiful, even though you are. And I don't love you because you're smart, even though you are smart. And I don't love you because you're fast, but you are fast. I love you because you're my daughter, and that will never change. And in that moment, I'm reminding her and myself that that will never change. I don't want her to have to try to chase achievement to try to earn my approval. I had a moment this week as I was writing this and studying for this. I'm just being, being transparent with you. For some reason or another, I know how to push Judah's buttons and I do it too often. I'm just confessing that to you. It's a sin to my church family, to my wife, to him, to the Lord, and I just exasperate him at times. And rather than just immediately stopping and leaning in and loving him in those moments, I've just kind of let it go and made up an excuse as to why I needed to exasperate him that day. It's not like every time your kids are frustrated that it's your fault, you exasperated them. But this is, a, this is rhythmic for me, and I know how to do it. And, and sometimes it's more subconscious than conscious, but I'm just confessing that and just trying to say, I'm done with that. Like, I'm, I'm done with that. That was number four. They need instruction. Here's number five. They need a savior. And I'm not him and neither are you. And we get 18 years to point our kids to the Savior of the world by the words that we use, by the encouragement that we give, by the places that we take our kids, by the way that we serve one another, by coming to church, by forgiving each other. It's true that if, even if we are incredible parents, greatest parents of all time, bluey level moms and dads, Even if we hit that notch, even if our kids think we are the best parents of all time, even in that moment, we still do not get to choose whether or not they will follow Jesus or not. That is their choice because they are made in the image of God and they are on loan with us for a time. They have their own DNA, their own soul, their own personality, and it is up to them we do not get to choose. We do get to choose what kind of parents we want to be. We do get to choose whether or not we get to the end of the parenting journey and have regrets or not. I know parents that feel both ways. They get to the end and they go, they kind of have their hands open and they say, we, we did our best. If we could go back, I don't even really know much that we would do differently because we did our best. And I know other adult, uh, parents with adult children who go, who would just kill who would pay $5 billion to go back and have another go. And we're just, a lot of us are on the front edge of this, and I just, I dream of being a church that we could raise our kids together, and at the end, when they all go off to college, and whatever they're going to do, we just kind of hold our hands open and say, they were the lords the whole time, and we did our best. Think, Think in closing here, think about how much time, how many resources, how much money, how much attention we give to keeping our children physically alive. Think about this. I mean, the car seats, the vitamins, the all-natural diapers. We lock up all the cleaning supplies. We put little covers on every electric plug. We make our kids hold our hands in the parking lot. We buy them helmets for scooters. We get them swimming lessons before they're two years old, just in case. We dedicate an incredible amount of attention to keeping our kids physically alive. And of course, we should. We shouldn't take any of that away. But it does make me think, am I dedicating the same amount of resources, the same time, the same prayer the same energy, the same money, the same, the same selflessness? Am I, am I dedicating the same amount towards helping my kids be spiritually alive and thrive with Jesus? The, the proportion, I mean, we are crazy about keeping our kids physically alive, as we should be, but we should also be equally as crazy about pointing our kids towards Jesus. At the end of this 18-year journey with each of our kids, they're going to get to choose. But here's If you forget everything else I said, I heard this and I just have to pass it on to you. If if our kids turn 18, 19, 25, 32, whatever, as they get a little bit older, they get to choose whether or not they're going to follow Jesus or not. One thing that we have to make sure our kids remember forever, no matter where they're at with the Lord, no matter how old they are, And maybe, frankly, what I'm about to share applies to you right now, just as much as it does to the kids that you think are thinking about raising. No matter where you are, no matter how far you've run, no matter how many years they haven't been at church or whatever, no matter where they are, all of our kids need to always know that beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is true, there is more grace in Christ than there is sin in them. There's always more grace in Christ than there is sin in them. Your kids need to know that. Even if they wander for decades, they still need to remember that mom and dad told me that there's always more grace in Christ than there is sin in them. And oftentimes, moms and dads, it is our open arms that is the doorway back to a relationship with Christ. We've got to make sure that our kids know that they're on loan for a time. We've got 18 years to send the message that there's always more grace in Christ than there is sin in them. It's it's a it's an unbelievably frustrating roller coaster journey that many of us are just getting on. Dave and Ann, you guys are the last downhill with Campbell and I'm just, I mean, there's, there's, I other kids represented here at a lot of different ages, but I wanted to end today's service just with something memorable and special. We have all of the little heritages lined up in the hallway. Uh, April and Liz and the whole team got all the kids lined up in the hallway, and we're actually going to bring them in here, and if you would, I guess if you have kids that are like, maybe three and up, if they're in like that uh, seahorses or crabs or jellyfish, I think they're going to run in. And then if you have a turtle or a shrimp, then I think you got to go get them kind of in the hallway. So we're going to take two minutes right here, and we're going to let all the kids in. And I want you guys to get a chance to have your kid. And if you are physically able, I want you to hold your kid in your arms. So Lord, help us. Will you open the doors? (laughs) Band, you guys can come on out. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com.